MSW Media. Welcome to Teacher Quit Talk. I'm Miss Redacted. And I'm Mrs. Frazzled. Every week we explore the teacher exodus to find out what, if anything, could get these educators back in the classroom. We've all had our moments where we thought, what the hell am I doing here? From burnout to bureaucracy to soul-sucking stressors and creative dead ends. From recognizing when it was time to go to navigating feelings of guilt and regret afterwards, we're here to cut out the gaslighting and get real about what it means to leave teaching. We've got insights from former teachers from all over the country who have seen it all. So get ready to be disturbed. Join us on Teacher Quit talk to laugh through the pain of the U.S. education system. We'll see you there. The rule of law is not just some lawyer's turn of phrase. It is the very foundation of our democracy. The essence of the rule of law is that like cases are treated alike. That there not be one rule for Democrats and another for Republicans, one rule for the powerful, another for the powerless, one rule for the rich and another for the poor, or different rules depending upon one's race or ethnicity. To serve as Attorney General at this critical time is a calling I am honored and eager to answer. So yeah, now it's clean up on aisle 45 time. And for a long while yet, it is going to be clean up on aisle 45. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 50 of Clean Up on Aisle 45. This is our last episode of 2021. And technically, Andrew, I'm on vacation. <laughs> but we decided I couldn't skip the 50th. Uh, no, no. <laughs> and the final episode of the year. So I am Allison Gill, and with me as always is Andrew Torres. Hey, Andrew. Hi, Allison. Hope you're having a uh, lovely holiday so far, and we will uh, get you get you back to your vacation, undisclosed location, uh, sipping Mai Tais and... Um, uh, you know, with her, with her feet up on the beach. I hope anyway. Um, <laughs> well, we can pretend we can pretend. There you go. I'm, I'm, it's the season for pretending. So, uh, in any event, uh, it, uh, has, has been quite a year for the show. Uh, we're, we're, we're 50 episodes in, it's been, you know, quite a year in general. <laughs> and uh, and before we get to recapping some of those stories, I just want to give a shout out to our last new patrons of the year. That is Ride to Vote, in the interim, Thomas Pike, Sean Noonan, and Jacob Morrison. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And again, you want to support the show in the new year, right? You get flushed with some of that uh, Christmas cash or, uh, you know, whatever whatever it is you got along the holidays. Uh, you know, you can give some of that to us uh, for as little as a buck an episode over at uh, patreon.com slash aisle45pod, A-I-S-L-E-4-5-P-O-D. Absolutely. So uh, let's talk about some of the big moments uh, this year. And the first thing that comes to the top of my head, Andrew, when when we talk about cleanup on aisle 45 are some of the court filings. There's been some amazing, <laughs> amazing rulings and findings from judges and some absolutely ridiculous filings from some people in Trump world. Uh, and it, it's gotten really weird. And, you know, I only have I don't have 
the years of experience that you do reading court filings. I'm, I'm pretty new to this in the last four or five years or so. But I, I have to say that even in my small time of reading court filings, there was just some absolutely ridiculous stuff. Top of mind uh, is our episode that we did live in DC after we were following <laughs> the Kraken Strike Force sanctions hearings in Michigan with Judge Parker and uh, Fink for the city of Detroit. And then of course, what the 11 or 12 Kraken attorneys who had all and any kinds of excuses to not be part of whatever Sidney Powell was putting down. Emily, it's my first day, Newman, that she's, she's my personal favorite. By the way, that's a, that's a total lie, right? Like I think we've, we've debunked that on this show that uh, she has participated in multiple of these Kraken lawsuits has been involved in, you know, team big lie from the very beginning. Um, I'm, I'm really glad that you flagged this as, as sort of your first story because um, a thing happened beginning in November of 20 of 2020 that, that isn't supposed to happen. Right. And it isn't supposed to happen on a lot of different levels. And that is, um, it, it, uh, lawyers who are themselves part of the true believer QAnon insanity movement um, that, that, you know, that we're lumping together as all part of the Kraken lawyers, you know, uh, the titular head being Sidney Powell, um, got, got together and put outright falsehoods into court pleadings. Um, and, and, and I have to say like, this is, this is kind of a roller coaster of emotions for me, uh, because I'm used to litigating against the other side. I, 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 I worked for and had the opportunity, I think I've said this before to be as a very, 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 very young lawyer, uh, on the, uh, Bush v. Gore 2000, uh, uh, emergency response team that was sent out to Florida. Um, but you know, you must've been like 10 years old. Yeah, but <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, but, but it would have been on the Bush side. Right. And so I told my, uh, you know, supervising senior partner at the time, Bobby Birchfield, um, no, I, I, I wish you all of the lack of luck in the world. And, uh, <laughs> and I hope you lose down there. Um, sad, sadly, uh, they, they did not. Um, but, but, when I look back at those filings, right, when I look back at that kind of participation, um, that, that, that they didn't lie, right? Like Ted Olson didn't sign on to a brief that said, uh, you know, George W. Bush actually won New York by 10 million votes. Um, right. And, and or we or we didn't have these filings that said, uh, you know, Ruby and her daughter had trucked in boxes of uh you know, unsubstantiated fake ballots and, uh, you know, had people testify in quote unquote legislative hearings of Rudy Giuliani, <laughs> which by the way, by the end of the year, ended up with those two election workers suing quite a few people right. in civil court. <laughs> yeah. And, and so, you know, we often, we often talk about this and I, and when I'm talking about kind of the difference between a motion to dismiss and a motion for summary judgment, right. And I will say, right, Allison, 
if I uh, sue you for intentional infliction of emotional distress and I say it's because you frowned at me, uh, you get to move to dismiss the case because even if you did frown at me, which you'd never have as far as I know, but uh, that that doesn't qualify legally as extreme and outrageous conduct of the sort that you need, right? So you can say, look, man, I never frowned at you, but it doesn't matter. Assume I did. That still doesn't give rise to your cause of action. That's a motion to dismiss. But what I always use as an example for what would survive a motion to dismiss is uh, I say, Allison, you um, you know came out and snuck around my house uh, and trespassed onto my property. And if your defense is, dude, I wasn't even there, <laughs> um, hmm. that, that doesn't get dismissed out, right? Like we get to litigate that fact. I say, yes, you do. You say, no, I didn't. Um, and, and, and the reason that I'm going through that example is because our courts are incredibly ill-prepared to handle outright lies in pleadings, right? We are prepared to give plaintiffs the benefit of the doubt when they say, on information and belief, Allison Gill snuck onto my property and traipsed around my garage and peeked in my windows, and I'm suing her for trespass. Um, it The court generally is like, yeah, he might be wrong, but let's give him his day in court and let him prove those facts. And so what you had was uh, th this group of Kraken lawyers, uh, a stunning one in 63 record in court, um, which is uh, <laughs> mathematically about as bad as you can do. The one case that they won uh, was in Pennsylvania, was in connection with uh, the, the count. And basically, you know, they got an order allowing... Uh, Trump uh, supporters to come in and sneeze on volunteers who were in the uh, uh, various <laughs> Philadelphia precincts. Um, it was, I mean, it was a terrible order, but like, that's it. That's what they, what, what they won. The, uh, the court had, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court had initially said, you have to keep 25 feet back due to COVID. Uh, and then, uh, and then the, uh, on appeal, uh, they, uh, they won. Okay. Well, you can be within six feet. So, yeah. Um, that's it. That that's their big win, which, by the way, mm -hmm. resulted in no new votes uh, to Donald Trump. The other 63 losses uh, were all involving claims of election fraud. And 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 the reason that they fall into the they frowned at me camp is because in many of these cases, um, that there was not even a valid inference to be drawn, right? Like the affidavits that would be attached, and this is kind of the level of laundering, right? Like, so Howard Kleinhandler would attach an affidavit from Spider, and Spider would say, uh, I interviewed these six people, and, you know, Linda Liu said that she saw a big white van and people were stuffing ballots and, you know, what looked like big sealed envelopes into her, and it drove through, you know, the gate in in the middle of the night in Arizona, and 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 part of what I, I know I've I've been taking a long time on this, but um, but but part of what was so delightful and the reason we spent two hours breaking down that sanctions hearing um, was that that Judge Parker really took the time not just to read all of this nonsense and you know God bless her like my eyes start going cross-eyed when I see Terpsichore and spider and all that nonsense. Um, but, but also to kind of parse out the, the inherent weaknesses, the, the, you shouldn't have filed this in the first place. 
Um, and she made every single lawyer sit on that call and grilled each and every one of them of, hey, did you file this affidavit? Did you review any of the underlying documents? No. Why didn't you? Why did you then sign off and say you reviewed all the documents? Stop did you passing interview the any of the people? Yep. Did you interview any of the people the people said they interviewed? Yeah. Did you do any due diligence to find out if there was anything to this? Oh, and by the way, did you know that this affidavit showed up in another lawsuit that was laughed out of court where the judge said it was absolutely ridiculous, yet you still copied and pasted it into this lawsuit? Yeah, did, did any of that happen? <laughs> did you notice this one, which refers to a county that does not exist in the state of Michigan? Uh, yeah. And, and, and look, I, I, I just want to emphasize, I, as, as you know, I, I kind of bring my evaluation of that to a close. This was bad faith actors tried to break our legal system and our legal system pushed back. And, yeah. and, and I've been watching and reading nonsense, Sidney Powell lawsuits, you know, and they are the kind that make me embarrassed to admit I'm a lawyer at cocktail parties. Not that anybody's going to cocktail parties anymore, yeah. but you know, online. Right. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and this really, uh, Judge Parker sort of single-handedly, you know, it, it's not all the way restored. We got, we got a lot of issues still out there. The state bars have not yet uh, disbarred Sidney Powell. We know Defending the Republic, that's her sham nonsense organization, is fundraising on the basis of this. So, you know, the bad guys, you know, are still going to grift and are still uh, getting rich. But, but the fact that they were not able to use the... Um, the weaknesses in the legal system that are there, the fact that they got called out for it, that they lost time and time again, and courts did the work, uh, Trump appointees in many cases, you know, George W. Bush appointees, rock solid, rock ribbed Republican judges said, get, get out of here with this Terpsichore mm -hmm. shit, you know, uh, that, that really, really, uh, uh, you know, made my year, helped, uh, helped restore some faith in the, in the profession. Yeah, uh, it was it was actually started to get entertaining, but um, like reading these for fun, uh, the you know these replies from Judge Parker. But so how it started, how it's going, how it started, sixty four frivolous lawsuits, a one in sixty three record, and how it's going is not only is Sidney Powell and defending the Republic, the pair of PACs, under criminal federal investigation by a D.C. federal grand jury. Uh, at, at, at the DC US Attorney's Office. But so are anyone who was involved with that and the fundraising. They're looking into fraud, uh, defrauding donors by lying to them to raise $14 million. How the money was spent, uh, they're looking at the fact that she actually spent some of the money defending herself in Dominion lawsuits, mm -hmm. which is illegal. Then she's also, um, they only found one instance of her actually spending the money on anything she said she was going to spend the money on, which was, you know, any of these election lawsuits. And then finally, we have Michael Flynn submitting his filing for a, <laughs> a, a, a restraining order saying, hey, I'm really scared because of criminal investigations into Sidney Powell, and I was involved in that. And, you know, I'm also a little bit of, you know, worried about some other stuff that the committee is looking into. I don't think they should have my phone records and having that be immediately dismissed and, and not on I'm not on the merits, just the fact that when you file for a, a restraining order, you first of all have to inform the, the people you're filing uh, against uh, before you file it. And then you also have to show 
how you would be injured or harmed. And, and neither of those two elements of getting a restraining order were met. So the, the judge, a, a GW Bush appointee, at first it was a Trump appointee who recused immediately within an hour. And we don't know why she recused. She just said, I, I'm, she was a Trump appointee, she's recusing. I don't know if it's because she was a Trump appointee. That's not usually why you recuse or maybe because she was at Jones Day and there was some sort of a connection with Flynn. Uh, and of course, you know, then within 24 hours, it was handed to a GW Bush appointee named Scriven, and she's the one who who dismissed it. But, you know, Flynn is also extremely worried about the fact that Sidney Powell, who he worked with on her PACs defending the Republic, was her lawyer when he threw out his plea agreement, blew that up after pleading guilty twice, and then started this performative BS in the Mueller investigation. So he he really doesn't want to be looked at legally, but he doesn't have a leg to stand on. So that's where it started <laughs> and that's where we are. And I think that Sidney Powell is probably ripe for criminal indictment. I I, I concur a hundred percent with respect to that. And I think that um that you know the 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 real key there is do we keep these idiots, grifters, and con artists out of the levers of power, right? They get back in. All bets are off. And, and look, we saw that. Like, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out among the myriad of conflicts of interest there is Sidney Powell representing Michael Flynn in connection with the Mueller investigation, in connection with his plea deal. Um, it, it is, uh, uh, allow me, I have not prepared the appropriate analogy uh, for this, but firing Covington and Burling, my first firm, uh, and Rob Kellner, a, a not a close friend, but a friend of mine, right? One of the very, very best in the business at what he does. Uh, and a team of lawyers who are there to law the shit out of, you know, your plea deal. Like, you cannot do better than having Covington and Burling defending you and replacing them with the clown car that is Sidney Powell, who came in and every filing was uh, a, a jumble of nonsense uh, that, you know, resulted in the court uh, saying, well, well, you know, um, we, we, you, you have asserted this false thing three times in connection with, uh, you know, just reviewing the plea deal in and of itself, uh, you know, requiring her to show up and at routine status conferences uh, asking questions like, "Counsel, you're not suggesting that your client that your client didn't plead voluntarily, are you?" Uh, <laughs> and having her say, "Oh no, no, we're not suggesting that," and then go right back to making the same arguments in her, you know, cut and paste motions that were there. The the only reason you do that, right? The only reason you replace the A team with the Z team uh, is if you know the fix is in. And then we watched the fix be in, right? We, we watched all the line prosecutors resign. We watched Bill Barr, uh, you know, send his handpick lackey in there uh, and demand uh, that uh, that uh, that charges be dropped against Michael Flynn. Uh, and again, we saw we saw the, the judiciary as an institution fight back and go. You know, typically we defer in every case I could possibly imagine. We defer when uh, when prosecutors say we're going to drop the case. But this one smells and we're not going to do it. Um, and so yeah. uh, that's that's not a that's not a 2021 story. But uh, that it was just uh, it, it, what it is, though, yeah. because <laughs> in his filing that last week, yep. 
you know, he, he says uh, he can't be subpoenaed or he, he shouldn't be bothered with the January 6th committee because he would incriminate himself uh, based on his connection yeah. to Sidney Powell, two connections now with the PAC and that she was his attorney uh, after he blew up his plea deal, which by the way, had he just stuck with, he wouldn't have gone to jail probably, yeah. maybe two weeks or 30 days, 60 days. And even if he did get the max, he'd be out by now. Uh, so it's just, it's, it's stunning. No, it's about the, sticking it to us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and about, and about doing what Trump wants you to do with regards to like, let's say what's happening with the one six committee. Now he's only happy with how Bannon has responded. <laughs> he's mad at Roger Stone for pleading the fifth. He's mad at Mark Meadows for handing over 9,000 documents before deciding to stop cooperating after he probably got a phone call. Bannon so far is the only way to handle the one six committee, which is just not even show up for your arraignment to, to F you fine, put me in jail for 30 or 60 days or whatever. See you next July. Peace out. Well, and, and uh, let's, I think that's a great pivot to what I think of as the biggest moment of 2021 so far. That is the one six insurrection. You and I were texting as that was unfolding in real time. It was just a, uh, you know, a, a, a moment that I hadn't experienced uh, in this country uh, as an American since 9-11, right? It, it was just, um, you know, what's happening right here. Uh, and the, the subsequent response, right, which was uh, immediate, uh, the, the, the way in which piecing together the story of 1-6 was interwoven with uh, the second impeachment, uh, and um, the formation of and the work that is being done by the January 6th committee. You can call this a glass half full, glass half empty, and I think we're going to kind of break down, you know, the pluses and the minuses. I know a lot of folks are, uh, you know, disappointed we do not have uh, top-line uh, indictments uh, referral. The 1-6 committee, is House committee cannot uh, issue indictments, can make criminal referrals over to the DOJ. And as far as we know, other than for contempt for witnesses who have not shown up, um, it has made no such uh, referrals over to the DOJ. And, and I think that's probably, although that's an inference, I think that inference is probably correct. I think it's, you know, we're at a, we're at a way too early stage. Um, so um, if I was going to be the pessimist, I would say, Allison, we had an, an, an armed insurrection on American soil in which lunatics spreading the big lie breached the Capitol, the floor of the Senate. They were chanting, hang Mike Pence. They broke into Nancy Pelosi's office. They stole a laptop. Individuals were killed, were hurt, were injured. It was a nightmare and a disaster. And right now, you know, we've had uh, uh, you know, a couple of three and four year sentences for people like the QAnon shaman. Uh, but we're no closer to kind of putting together how this happened and uh, and what happened. Um, am I am I wrong to be that's the pessimist voice? Am I am I wrong well, to I have that voice? I think the and, and it but it's only been in the last month or so that the January 6th committee has started dropping information uh, to us, such as there was a call. Uh, and a lot of this has come from really like the intrepid reporting of uh, Hugo Lowell and uh, Jamie Gangell and people close to the committee 
who were like, no, they're looking into the call to the Willard Hotel from the White House on January 5th. They're looking into January 5th, the war room at the Willard. They're looking into these things. They're looking into connecting, as Jamie Raskin said, the intersection of the violent attack on the Capitol and the soft coup trying to get Pence to throw out electors. And if that was coordinated. Uh, and, and so things that we all saw with our eyes on January 6th and, and we're able to infer because we're not stupid are now the evidence has been gathered and is, is continuing to be gathered. And we're only just now learning about it here at the end, almost a year later uh, at the end of, of the road. And if it, if it is in fact true that the Department of Justice is doing the pyramid of guilt and started with the, you know, the lady standing outside of the rotunda and has worked their way up to Oath Keepers and leaders of Oath Keepers, and then trying to work their way up to the funders and the rally and stuff like that. I'm talking about the DOJ here. And, and we know they've gotten as far as Sidney Powell and fundraising and her participation in the big lie, which to me leads to some of the, uh, you know, the, the coup PowerPoint and the coup emails and things like that. Uh, and starting to look at members of Congress. We haven't heard about uh, anything above that, about anything at the White House or the Department of Justice or uh, yeah, and, and former Department of Justice officials. But we, what we do know is that the Inspector General of the Department of Justice is investigating the Department of Justice part, the Jeffrey Clark uh, <laughs> and the, you know, the Donahue and Rose and stuff. And we know that the committee is looking at the rest of everything else and that it is quite possible if not probable, that the Department of Justice is insulating itself from politicization by waiting for referrals from either the nonpartisan inspector general or the bipartisan uh, January 6th committee. And that's perhaps when they decide to start looking into the Trump stuff. We don't know. Uh, it seems like with the language of Liz Cheney and the committee talking about criminally obstructing an official proceeding, 18 U.S. Code 1512 C2, that they are, and, and they have said, they're going to look to make criminal referrals uh, about this inaction or action to corruptly impede the, the electoral vote count. Uh, but, you know, uh, and perhaps that's why the committee is doing that, because they are, they, you know, and Adam Schiff has said, you know, I don't see the Department of Justice looking into Trump stuff yet, so we're going to make a criminal referral in case they're not. Doesn't mean they aren't, but we haven't heard hide nor hair of it. And it is uh, my pessimist glass half empty. <laughs> is why are we a year in? Um, I mean, we know with the, the delay, the Republican delay of the formation of the committee on, on January 6th, we know about that. We know about the delay of Biden appointed U.S. attorneys finally getting there in D.C. and in, in I think October 10th is when that guy got there or no, November 4th. Yeah. Excuse me. October 10th was Southern District. So, you know, that I think is is and, you know, when I had that discussion with Peter Strzok about like, hey, you don't have to come out and tell me what you're investigating and who you're investigating. But could you come out and tell me what resources you're putting on this and that you have a sense of urgency and that it's fucking important? Like, just could you let me know that you know that it's important and we know it's important? Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at with this. And, and I am hoping beyond hoping of hopes that with a criminal referral from the inspector general or the January 6th committee that a special counsel is appointed 
who can spend all of their time on this and have a big team with huge resources. And, you know, when, after Mueller was appointed, what he started raining indictments after five months. And so that's what I'm hoping, because, and the reason that I want, I want a special counsel for several reasons, but the main reason is because I want declinations. If you refuse to prosecute somebody you've investigated, you, you, special counsel is required to report to Congress who they investigated, who they decided to prosecute, who they did not decide to prosecute, and why they decided not to prosecute. Because if you just don't do it and don't tell us, that is going to create a huge problem with public perception of the department. I I am really really glad that you uh, concluded with the uh, with the declination decisions. Um, I I think that's the key kind of takeaway from that is that, as you point out, right there's a there's a not a bit of right. This is a black box problem. We do not have the information right in the uh, the 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 Donald Rumsfeld line right like. We're, we're at unknown unknowns territory, right? We don't even know what we do not know. Um, and, and, and part of uh, the way that this, uh, you know, reaches any kind of satisfactory conclusion is um, when that information comes out to us in the public. Um, and, uh, and a decision of, hey, we looked here and decided not to proceed against John Eastman, decided not to proceed against, you know. Um, Jeffrey Clark. Yeah, Jeffrey Clark would be a, a fantastic example. Mark Meadows, right, whatever. Um, that, that, that will help us calibrate our anger. I, I, yeah, <laughs> it, 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 they did it with the, you know, with, uh, with Mueller when he came out and yeah, everybody was pissed that he didn't say that Trump obstructed justice. And that's my next, my whole next thing, <laughs> obstruction of justice stuff, but he wouldn't say, but he explained, Hey, look in the constitution, uh, the accused has the right to face their accuser and defend themselves. But since, because of the OLC memo, I can't indict him he therefore would be stripped of his constitutional right to face his accuser if I accused him of obstruction of justice because he wouldn't have a chance to face me in court. And so therefore it would be, un he would, it would be unconstitutional for me to say that he obstructed justice to, to draw that conclusion because he, you know, he, he wouldn't have his, his right to face his accuser in court. And so that's why we didn't do it. And we didn't do it because the OLC memo. And then I didn't accuse him of it because of this. Now, of course, that left a giant fucking door for B Bill Barr to park a truck in. But he at least explained it so that if people say, why didn't he do that? I can say, well, here's why you said he didn't do it. You know, and so that, those are the kind of declinations that I want, uh, if there are declinations from the Justice Department. And, and Senator Whitehouse or Blumenthal, I think it was Whitehouse, when he was questioning Garland, uh, in November in front of his committee. And he said, uh, hey, all right, because that's when he was like, are you following the money? Are you using that? And Merrick Garland was like, I promise we're using investigative techniques that you know right. about, probably <laughs> you don't know about. That was uh, that was a notable interview. That's I'm glad you, you brought that up. Yeah. But then he also said, uh, can you commit to, if you decide not to prosecute Trump for the insurrection, can you commit to explaining your declination to do so. And of course, Merrick Garland was like, I can't really talk about ongoing investigations or whether they're there or not, you know? 
same, same stuff. He wouldn't commit to that. And I was like, that is why I want a special counsel. I, I agree a hundred percent. And I think, uh, you know, you sort of floated, uh, what I think would make a good next topic and, and I'll, I'll broaden it a little bit. Um, I think it is fair to say that you and I were both surprised uh, and pleased uh, that uh, Donald Trump did not issue any last minute pardons to himself. Um, yes, and I thought for sure he was going to give it a shot. So did I. And, um, and, and so in connection with that, I have to say uh, it is a disappointment, right? And I'm, I'm going to lump three things all together uh, in, in the disappointment category. Uh, number one, we have no obstruction charges uh, against Donald Trump. We have no charges of any kind uh, coming out of the DOJ a year out of uh, the, 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 the Trump administration. Uh, number two, uh, we do not have uh, the New York Attorney General, New York State um, indictments into Donald Trump, presumably in connection with his uh, inflated real estate deals. Um, and that is after, you know, uh, attempting to put the squeeze on Alan Weisselberg and, you know, maybe he's jerked uh, uh, various uh, prosecutors around. We can kind of talk about that and break that down. And number three, uh, the the crime we all heard on tape, uh, then-President Trump uh, calling up uh, Brad Roethlisberger, uh, uh, <laughs> Brad Raffensperger, the Secretary of State in Georgia, and saying, I don't care, you know, what the totals are, just find me 11,710 votes, okay? Just find the votes, um, which is, I, I mean, a textbook example of how to commit a crime on tape. Uh, we, we know that, uh, the, the uh, Atlanta, uh, DA is, uh, uh, has been looking into charges for a long time, but I plead a lot of patience, but I will tell you, I kind of wrap all of that together. And, and, and I think this is affecting, um, what I would describe as sort of a, a, a widespread, uh, progressive level of, uh, of disaffectedness uh, with the, the Biden administration, right? Um, that certainly politically, uh, you know, the, the, the screw-ups on Build Back Better and Joe Manchin and uh, voting rights and everything else uh, don't help. But, but I, I get the sense, people aren't saying this, but I get the sense that um, that's compounded, right? That the reason that it's especially frustrating is because also it feels like the bad guys got off scot-free. Right. We're a year out and nothing has happened to any of these scumbags and villains. And I know I like I, I want to give voice to that. Right. Like part of why I worked hard for Joe Biden. Joe Biden does not inspire. Right. Like uh, uh, the, the part of the reason I worked hard for Joe Biden uh, that, you know, you and I worked hard to keep the Senate in Democratic hands uh, in the, uh, the Georgia runoffs um, was a sense of. Uh, a break from the past, which which we have gotten, uh, a, a a return to sanity and grownups in the White House, which we have gotten, but also a it's time you know to to hold uh, evildoers accountable, and it feels like we haven't done that. What do you think about that? Yeah, uh, we haven't, and it's <laughs> quite. Uh... Frustrating. I, I now send a weekly tweet to the Department of Justice and the DC, our brand spank a new DC US attorney saying, hey, it's time to charge yep. for obstruction of justice. You've got the follow-up McGann testimony yep. uh, in, in, in May that happened in May. Okay. Uh, you've got 
volume two of the Mueller report. Now I understand, and, and you know, this is kind of one of the lessons of the Bannon indictment for contempt. Everyone was like, it should happen immediately. The evidence is all there. Everything should happen immediately. And what the Justice Department did and what they, they did this silently, nobody knew this was going on, is they took about three, a little over three weeks, maybe exactly three weeks. They interviewed witnesses in the grand jury. They, it had, they got uh, submitted to them interviews from FBI law enforcement. They had over a thousand pages of evidence and 65 documents. And they put that all together to, to and, and prepared for whatever defense could have come out of Bannon, which isn't much because he wasn't even right. part of the government. And then they put together an airtight case for, for criminal contempt to misdemeanor charges. And so it wasn't as simple as we thought, right? Yep. And so the only thing I can hope is that with getting finally getting the McGann testimony again, uh, and the transcript of that in May. And all he did, by the way, was just say, yeah, all that stuff I said is right. Yeah. Uh, and that, yeah, that's how, that's what happened. Yep, yep, I confirm all that stuff. The only thing I can hope is that if Bannon, simple, open and shut, easy ass prosecution took three weeks, then maybe three or four counts of criminal obstruction of justice of a former president might take five months but it just seems like a long ass time. Yeah. And I, I don't see them waiting for the U.S. attorney to get there in November to begin. Yeah, uh, I, I, I agree with all of that. And let's add an additional, let's add two more deadlines on top of this, right? Um, the first are statutes of limitation. That's a super complex discussion because um, it is not clear uh, when statutes uh, begin to run. They, they typically run uh, from the discovery of the wrong. Uh, but, uh, for example, for things like uh, conspiracy, the statute does not run until the right continues to uh, get, get be told, gets get pushed forward uh, while the conspiracy is ongoing. Right. So yeah. Yeah, it it. it I, I don't mean to suggest that you can just do a simple calculation, um, but but I also do mean to suggest that, uh, that that there's a time limit, that there is a clock that is running. Um, there is, there and, is, and and the first obstruction stuff is the Flynn stuff. Yep. In February, uh, which Mueller didn't seem to have uh, all three elements met in his volume two. Yep. Until. Donald Trump went on television a couple of weeks ago and said, yeah, I fired him. I wouldn't be here today if I didn't fire Comey. Come on. He was going to Flynn. Come on. Yeah. So that could add. And then of course that would, you know, make the, uh, you'd have to start putting together that case if you weren't going to put it together before, but the meat on the bones, the stuff with McGann, June, July, August. And uh, that's, I think, at least where my eye is turned that yeah. if you pass next summer without an indictment for obstruction of justice, then that to me says that obviously they aren't going to be able to do it unless there's one last tiny remote thing. And that is what is missing in the second half of that March, 2019 bill Barr memo that the department of justice refused to release, not for harm to an ongoing matter, but for deliberative process. Right. Uh, and that is the pardons. Are the pardons part of the obstruction conspiracy? And I think that they are. And a lot of great legal scholars, not just me, I'm an armchair lawyer, think <laughs> that they could be as well. 
Uh, however, and that would push, that would obviously push the statute of limitations out into 2025. And if you don't indict by then, I mean. Well, and, 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 and the other, in my view, the other impending time issue is uh, the DOJ's longstanding policies <laughs> made, made election stuff right, right made public by Jim Comey and you know put whatever asterisk what you want to do around that that um, strongly counsel against um, I- I- indicting a uh, a candidate for public office in the in the midst of an election season. Um, and uh, at all appearances right now uh, that uh, Trump will run uh, and will be the Republican nominee in, in 2024. Um, that is, you know, his it, it's a party that declined to issue a platform. They are so beholden to him. Uh, it was just Trump. Uh, and so um, I, I think and look. <laughs> God, God help me. I'm going to say this now because it needs to be said as a principle of law that in general, the principle of no matter which party is in the White House, no matter which party uh, controls, appointed the attorney general and runs the executive branch, um, and no matter how serious the crimes are, the, the policy of we should not have a Department of Justice that indicts presidential candidates is a pretty good one, right? Like the, the, when you compare the United States track record to, you know, lots of other, you know, more fragile democracies, um, the, 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 we don't arrest your political opponents is a, uh, is a rule that de- deserves rule. respect. <laughs> yeah. Good rule. Yeah. It is a good rule. I mean, um, that's why that's why the original Michael Flynn lock her up shit was so horrifying, right? Mm-hmm. Because that's not the kind of thing we do in this country. And and, and I am super concerned as it drags on. Um, you know, it will be it will be a fair argument for those on the right to say, really, you're gonna you're gonna lock up Donald Trump in uh, October of 2024 after he's the Republican nominee. I don't think so. Uh, and they'll have a good point. Um, mm-hmm. Not saying I would turn down a Trump indictment in October 2024, uh, but uh, but I, I I I think it is important to point out that that's a bad road to go down. Yeah, yeah, and 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 that would you know if we could, I'd like that to be the segue into our our final discussion uh-huh. here of some of, of a little bit of a disturbing trend that I'm seeing, and it's mostly fringe mostly social media, but I'm seeing a lot of people on the quote unquote left who are demanding those kinds of banana Republic arrests, those guilty until proven innocent arrests, the, you know, hang them for treason. Uh, You know, where are the treason charges? Why, you know, um, and it, it's, it's disheartening to see a group of folks who would normally be against a cash bail system, who would normally be pro-criminal defendant rights, pro-constitutional rights, be willing to forego those because, well, it was an it was an attack on our democracy, and it's I just find it hard to square that circle that you would be willing to shit on democracy, to save democracy. You can't really 
do that. Now, I agree. Could it be faster? Could it be more urgent? Could I hear more about a sense of urgency with regards to bringing people to justice? Sure. But to be willing to throw out our fundamental constitutional rights for the sake of speed or vengeance or quote unquote saving the republic, I think is is a mistake. I I I couldn't agree more with you. And, and uh, it, it, you know, we have been flagging this all the way back when, <laughs> and, and I'm, I'm thinking about the report that dropped over the weekend that I think was a, a, a New York, uh, uh, the week or what I, I forget who did it, but it was like a piece on, you know, the, the rise and fall of Michael Avenatti. Right. And um, I, I feel real good that uh, our sources were among the very first sources on the left who were like, uh, maybe you don't want to put all your eggs in the Michael Avenatti basket, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we did a uh, we did a pretty in depth uh, research on um, you know his uh, the activity that that formed the basis of uh, you know one of his criminal indictments. Um, there was a time in which Michael Avenatti was floated as a presidential candidate. And mm-hmm. there was a time in which uh, Michael Avenatti and people like him were embraced by a segment of our voters. And I don't even know where they fall, right? I'm not going to say, you know, left or whatever. I'm going to say people who said, um, I want somebody who can give it back to Trump the way Trump has been taking it out on us. Um, and, and, and I understand that emotional frustration, but, but I just want to share your comments that, you know, part of, (laughs) part of choosing sides and, and, you know, the, the, and, 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 and the battle lines being drawn is, um, having a thing worth fighting for at the conclusion, uh, of those lines being drawn. Right. And, and I am proud, for example, I, I remain this, Oh, hell of a lot of things I'm unhappy with the democratic party about. I am proud that we are the party that when it comes to choose between more people voting and fewer people voting picks more people voting. Right. That's a, that's a fundamental principle that I can say that's, that's something Democrats stand for. And you know, you, you ought to be behind, uh, participation in the process. And I find it very worrisome um, when people want to uh, trade outcomes for process. Um, mm-hmm. that, that, yeah. that there's some there's some things that I've changed my mind on, right? Like uh, it, 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 that's a version of the argument, right? Against court packing, for example. And I said, look, like I, I, I still see all of the risks inherent in court packing that I articulated in 2017. It is just that it is so far broken that if we do not come up with radical change, uh, we, you know, we're not going to be able to accomplish what we want to accomplish. Um, and so I'm willing to risk uh, that loss of process and the fact that the Supreme Court will be a political football for the indefinite future. Right. Like it will it will it will deliver a hammer blow to the Supreme Court. Uh, but I'm willing to take that now in a way that I wasn't willing to take in 2017 pre Gorsuch, Kavanaugh and Amy Coney Barrett. Mm-hmm. Um but uh, but 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 I think we need to to take a hard look at, you know, how how far are we willing to go to, you know, to to deliberately steal the Kraken phrase to defend the Republic uh, <laughs> and, and how much of the Republic are we prepared to lose uh, in that defensive action? And I think not enough people are, are having that conversation. 
Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. And um, man, yeah, you know what? It's been a year. <laughs> and um, this has been real, really great to talk to you about some of the, the highlights slash lowlights uh, of 2021. Let's I'm go hoping- out, go out with a highlight. Tell me, tell me your favorite uh, because I know we've we've been focused on some of the negatives here, and I think that's good to hold ourselves accountable. That's the whole point of clean up on all forty five. Uh, but but let's 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 hit a handful of the highlights. Uh, my I think my favorite thing this year is the diversity and depth of the appointments of Joe Biden's cabinet and federal bench. I. I, I I'm mad at you for stealing mine, uh, but uh, it is, look, look, it's why, and, and we think that you, you know, listeners are enjoying the uh, uh, the comings and going segments. We get, you know, positive comments on it. Uh, but even if you hated it, I think I would still want to do it every week because it has forced me to look at the commonalities in appointees way down the executive. Because like when I'm researching this stuff, like I got to go to the White House, you know, slash new uh, notices, slash new arrivals, and, you know, read up on the deputy undersecretary for, you know, transportation. Um, but one of the things that, you know, that the two of the things that we noticed in, in doing that are, number one, genuine commitment to real diversity up and down uh, the executive branch and in judicial branch appointees, and uh, you know, without sacrificing quality and and uh, and and uh, qualifications. And number two, uh, genuine progressive ideological commitment, particularly at, at everything, every branch of government that potentially intersects with the environment. I know. Um, I would love to see big legislative change. Uh, but, you know, we have a coal senator in Joe Manchin who is the uh, major blockade on legislation coming through. Um, and and so, you know, the president can only act uh, in an executive capacity. Um, and to, uh, to immediately rejoin the Paris Accords on day one of your administration, uh, and, and more importantly, to, to, to back that up uh, with, uh, appointment after appointment to staff out the executive branch of people who are uh, who list as their top priority uh, dealing with man-made climate change um, is 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 part of what right it's it's all you could do if you were Liz Warren as president if you were Bernie Sanders as president right it, it, it uh, you know uh, all of the progressive choices that I wanted I don't think could have delivered. Uh, better infrastructure in terms of uh, executive branch appointees. And uh, and Biden does not get enough credit for that. Mm-mm. No. And, uh, you know, also uh, all of his legal governing by executive order um, mm-hmm. along the lines of the EPA and, of course, immigration changes in that, changing everything, banning chokeholds where he can, banning no-knock warrants where he can. Uh, I'm, I'm been really impressed with and uh, I'd like to uh, I'd like to end my my 2021 on what I'd like to see Ooh. in in 2022 uh, and let's 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 I'll just have a lightning round here obstruction of justice charges yep uh, Trump indictment for Manhattan DA Trump yep. indictment for the insurrection 
leaders of the insurrection, some of those former DOJ officials. I want that New York Times headline like we got with uh, Ehrlichman and, and et cetera. <laughs> I'm looking forward to the public hearings uh, for the January 6th committee. I wanna pass the Build Back Better plan. And I would like for, uh, I, I, I would like Biden to finally get that Office of Legal Counsel memo that says he can cancel $50,000 of student debt for everybody in America. Uh, I, I love all of that. I would add, I would like to see uh, real Voting Rights Act reform. Um, mm -hmm. Carve uh, out the filibuster for voting rights. Yep, absolutely. Um, I, I would like to see, my, my hope is that the January 6th committee um, has uh, learned its lessons uh, from the Mueller report, right? And the, and the largest lesson there, like I think you and I have said this, I think Bob Mueller instantly thought that the day that his report came out, uh, that impeachment proceedings would proceed against the president the next day. Absolutely. It's clear from that. Um, and, and what we saw was um, nobody Meh. reads a 400-page government report unless it's about oral sex. Uh, and so, uh, you know, the, Justin Amash like left the Republican Party and left Congress and essentially like had a T-shirt that was like, guys, have you read this thing? And the answer was no. Right. And, and, and it enabled Barr to, you know, go out and 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 lie to the American public and say it says X and omit the word not in an ellipsis. Uh, mm -hmm. And and still, seventy percent of the country doesn't know that he did that, right? My my solid friends and 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 supporters on the left don't realize just how bad that that misinformation was. So, uh, Liz Cheney, <laughs> Adam Kinzinger, uh, you know what your party did. I'm glad. I'm really really glad they're on the one six committee, and hopefully, uh, they are providing some behind the scenes of advice of hey, hey, uh, let's make sure that. Uh, that this lands. Let's make sure that we don't just kind of assume through rose-colored glasses that people are going to do the right thing. Let's let's make this have teeth, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. and uh, and that uh, that I think would um, uh, would make a very very happy 2022 and help us go on the right path. And I think another great lesson, well, great, another huge lesson from the Mueller report is that if you have enough people obstructing and lying and pleading the fifth and giving false information, you may not have the evidence to, yeah. to be able to criminally indict. And, and what happened during the Mueller investigation behind closed doors with that obstruction is happening before our eyes right now with the January 6th committee. So it'll be interesting to see if with all this obstruction and, that, and, and they know, they learned that the Trump clan learned hey, if we just obstruct and keep our mouths shut, they won't find en enough to criminally indict us. Uh, they, they know that that's their play and also to sue for, for whatever they can possibly sue for. Uh, and so that's, again, a reason, a reason enough for me to want a special counsel to get those declinations because I'm afraid we could see, hey, we didn't have enough evidence for criminal to meet the criminal elements of these particular indictments because of lies, obstruction, uh, et cetera. But, you know, maybe they'd be able to get a bunch of people on the cover up. We'll see. We'll see. But I hope 2022 is the year of accountability. Uh, that is that will be my word of the year for 2022 <laughs> accountability. And uh, uh, let's. I'm going to I'm going to go out glass half full, uh, but uh, but let's see. So, uh, well, well, advance uh, happy holidays and happy new year to you, Allison. 
Yes, happy new year as well. Happy new year of accountability. And uh, thanks to you for doing this uh, show with me for the last 50 episodes, the last year. And again, thanks to our patrons who uh, make this show possible. And, and thanks to everyone who listens because yeah. we still have plenty to clean up. We do indeed. And I want to go out. We owe our uh, Hall of Famers one last thanks for 2021. So uh, I'm going to read the whole list uh, because right. I want to. So <laughs> Jamil Chohan, Jessica Outbeer, Christopher Dalpy, dude, Lance Buckley, Crimer, no criming. Well, I've been drinking brake fluid, but I'm not addicted. I can stop whatever I want. It's a fantastic name. David in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. Medicon 7. Charles Jones. January 20th, baby. Chris Waltrip, Patty B. Mitchell, and Chris Simpson. You are our Hall of Famers. You are our all-time greats. Uh, and uh, 2021 would not have been possible without you. Uh, and we look forward to, uh, to bringing you more great content in 2022. Well, I, with that, I've been Andrew Torres. I've been Allison Gill. And this is Clean Up on Aisle 45. We'll see you in 2022. Hi, I'm Harry Littman, host of Talking Feds, a roundtable that brings together prominent figures from government law and journalism for a dynamic discussion of the most important topics of the day. Each Monday, I'm joined by a slate of Feds favorites and new voices to break down the headlines and give the insider's view of what's going on in Washington and beyond, plus sidebars explaining important legal concepts read by your favorite celebrities. Find Talking Feds wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, this is John Cryer, and I am hosting a new seven-part true crime podcast called Lawyers, Guns, and Money that'll challenge everything you think you know about U.S. covert operations and presidential misconduct. From Jack Bryan, the director of American PSYOP, comes the incredible true story of John Mattis, a newly sworn-in Miami public defender in the 1980s who has found himself completely in over his head. I step off the plane, and there is a van with a couple guys with Uzis. And one of them in broken English said, welcome to Bogota, John. Mattis's first felony defendant has been arrested for having a machine gun and tells Mattis a dangerous secret. He was shipping arms into Central America on behalf of the CIA. As a first-time lawyer, I want to act like I know what I'm doing. But with the help of a Colombian drug smuggler, how much money the CIA raised by hitting up drug dealers? A lot of money, millions of dollars. An Alabama mercenary. They were prepared to die to the last man. I saw this in them. I saw the fire in their eyes. And they made me their war chief. And a newly elected senator, John Kerry. We are looking at allegations of drug running, gun smuggling, conspiracy to commit murder and murder itself. He'll fight to free his client. The judge said, Show me, in a courtroom, how we were at war. Expose an illegal war being run by the White House. I mean, I wanted him involved, but I didn't want to be on record as doing it. And somehow stay alive in the process. 
I just escaped a kidnapping by the CIA in Costa Rica. This is lawyers, guns, and money. So you have a man in Armani suit standing on the bow of a boat with a rocket launcher and says, if I lose sight of you, I will launch. You will be vaporized. Available everywhere starting October 29th, or get it ad-free and early starting October 22nd at lawyersgunsandmoney.supercast.com. There you'll find bonus episodes along with exclusive content. Subscribe now.